Welcome back to another episode of Off the Top Podcast. I am extraordinarily excited to do this specifically, and I feel like, you know, super pumped, super motivated to do this podcast, ironically. Um, before, you know, I go off and start running a thousand miles per hour, Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm really excited to have our first, um, you know, guest while we're in different countries. Um, big one year anniversary. I think um, there's going to be a lot of quality information to pick up on and our first one hour special. Yeah. And without further ado, Michael, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Thank you very much, Julian. Thank you very much, Jordan. I'm honored to be here. And whoever the listeners are, Welcome, and it's very nice to meet you. My name is Michael Dugan. I'm a corporate sales trainer for a Fortune 300 company and a lover of life. Yeah, I think you're uh, selling it a little short there, Michael. I think you're pretty spellbinding from how we've talked before. Um, You've done over 14,000 hours, um, which a lot of people talk about 10,000 hours. So um, just from the snippets we've picked up and, you know, these prior moments and leading up to this, um, there's some things I've really looked into deeper, and I feel that Um, as a listener and listeners out there that there'll be nuggets throughout this podcast that um, will be very beneficial to you. Absolutely. And one thing too to, you know, listen for listeners is that Michael goes into a lot of, um, you know, like meta learning as far as learning how to learn and being adaptable. And also one thing that you guys can take away from this podcast, which Michael is very graciously, um, you know, offered up is that you'll be offering a course Um, And so you'll find that in the description box. And I believe it's the lock and key. And I did that one myself and really, really enjoyed it. Is that right, Michael? Yes, that's right. The lock, the key. Awesome. So, Michael, to get things started on, you know, a right foot, um, essentially from what I, you know, I saw is that at one point, you know, you're kind of a preteen and you picked up an article Um, in regards to Reader's Digest and kind of learned about meditation, um, what essentially at that time frame drew you to um, kind of the meditative realm and that um, essence of learning? Yes, thank you. I think that some people have a natural proclivity to some learning genres, kind of like I have a dog that's an Irish setter, and if it doesn't chase a ball, it's not going to feel fulfilled. And some people have different inherent tendencies and I don't know that this was an accident. I think some things are predestined, some things are not. And I know that's kind of deep, but I happen to be, I, one part I didn't leave put in there is that I smoked marijuana when I was young. So that, and I didn't try academically that hard in high school. And the fact that I picked up the Reader's Digest was quite amazing <laughs> because, <laughs> because I wasn't where I seemed to be going. And I had an article on meditation on, And it said, focus on the number one and see how well you can stay focused on number one. And I noticed what I would call the babbling brain, or today I say the average brain loses its attention six to 10 times per minute. And it made me more mindful and self-aware of my thoughts and what my thoughts almost like they were going through my life and they were they were announcing my life of what was going on. They were sitting there constantly had their perspective of what was going on. Sometimes they'd spin down a negative path. And then about 18, I got a book on transcendental meditation. Now, once again, rare to where I seem to be going on my life path. And there was an article that had a profound effect on me. And it said that if you could map out the crime in a city, and if you had a group of people meditate 
in that city, like for one evening. That night, the crime would go down compared to what it should be based upon the trends of crime. And what they were suggesting to you is that somehow calm consciousness had an effect on chaotic consciousness. And that resonated with me as an 18-year-old. So I joined up for Transcendental Meditation, and it kind of gave me a, a level of awareness at a very young age. Mike, that sounds very, very interesting in the fact of, you know, what the epitome of meditation is, from my understanding, is that you are just aware of your own thoughts and you think about, you know, what your thoughts are and how they're progressing and how they grow. And the fact of, you know, if you think about the crime of a city, once, you know, those people are more conscious about the thoughts and almost the natural inclinations of their body and thinking, then they will be more aware of how that will take them throughout their actions and throughout, you know, just their thoughts and emotions as well. And assumably the thing that I kind of, you know, translated that to in the way my brain works and a great, great example to me was, um, you know, that collective calmness is something that is to those who have played sports um, or been in a competitive atmosphere or a team setting is that um, a lot of people point out, you know, if the captain of the team is freaking out, it passes through the lines into your teammates and, you know, the others on the team. Um, and you also notice a lot of time when your captain or the leader of the team is confident and calm and collected, it has a positive effect on those around them. And you can see the benefits of finding, you know, this calmness in your life to grow on. Absolutely. Great, great example. <clears throat> it was, there, there's a saying that I learned at a seminar from a man named T. Harv Ecker. And I've, I've, some people almost coined the saying to me because I've been using it for so many years. I have a couple little addendums to it, but it's how you do anything is how you do everything. And what it is, is a statement of habit. My addendums would be how you do anything is how you do everything unless you choose to change or how you do anything is how you do everything and everything matters. You, you always have to take all the variables into consideration. And what, what I'm saying with this in, in context to what we're communicating about now, if you're a person that that's easily impatient or easily intolerant in a small area of life, you'll probably be impatient in an intense moment of life. And a, one person, if you have a chaotic situation and one human being can remain calm and conscious in that chaotic situation, it absolutely, from my perspective, has an effect. Now, I, I want to do one short disclaimer to the audience, if you don't mind. And that's just that whenever I do any trainings or seminars, I ask if you just keep an open mind to the best of your ability. And then at the end of the podcast, throw away the, what doesn't work, because I'm, I might throw out a couple ideas that might challenge you. And don't, if you can do your best to not automatically shut down, an open mind is a prerequisite to learning and a prerequisite to absorbing information. And as Julian and I were communicating, there is no shortage of information on the planet Earth. The problem is, is is the sourcing the information, how good is the information, and having the ability to get to the good data. So I, I'm just going to speak from my heart and open up information. Some of it might challenge you, some of it might not. Throw it away at the end of the podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a it's a very unique process, and you know today's generation of being able to open your mind without judgment. Um, it's such a fast time around us where people are constantly comparing through what they through see through social media, um, you know, the internet in general. That it's in some places people believe having an open mind and trying to think different is essentially. Um, an evil process or something that isn't going to help them. But real in real reality, when you take a step back and realize that having an open mind doesn't mean making a change, it means finding some information that, you know, you can either make a change from or that makes you think in a different way um, to open up those learning avenues. Very good point, Julian. And I think also it happens to become a thing of with an open mind, you become a little less reactive when it comes to things in the fact of naturally, at least for me, when I thought about, you know, what are things that I could work on myself? I found that uh, what I naturally do and maybe a lot of people naturally do is whenever they hear something that maybe not perfectly coincide with their way of thinking, their first gut reaction is to kind of like destroy it or eliminate the thought in itself. And so once I was able to like sit with that, and understand like, okay, let's take the first reactive bit out of it and keep an open mind. Learning facilitates itself and you could see things from different perspectives and angles, just like I think Michael is talking about. Absolutely. Great points. Great points. And it's because human beings with that statement, how you do anything is how you do everything. We're a series of habits. And if you looked at the earth turning you could say that that's a habit. If you look at the earth going around the sun, another habit. If we put a satellite over your home and watched your car, more than likely you'd see a series of habits that makes a level of predictability of behavior. And then you go to your neural pathways and they're going to follow the same habitual formatting. It's going to cause us to think the same thoughts. There's an acronym that I've kind of amended to package it as my own, but it's that thoughts create emotions and emotions create actions and actions create results. And you could say a tear coming out of your eye or you rip a piece of paper, a tear thoughts, create emotions, emotions, create actions and actions create results and thoughts become habits and emotions become habits, actions become habits. And so do results become habits. And another little anecdotal saying is that life will keep on giving you lessons until you learn them. And if you don't learn them, life will keep on giving you the same lesson until you do learn them. What that saying is saying to me is that oftentimes people don't change unless they have to. It's so painful that it causes them to change. And one of my messages as a human being is that you can change in calm times. You can change when it's peaceful, if you choose to naturally evolve yourself. But if you're so sold on how you've always thought, because it's familiar to you, you're not going to be able to change as well. It's a great example is it even happened last week while I was training a class. We had two people from Salem, Oregon, and they both sat right next to each other in the seminar. And they say, if you at your workplace, if there's a person that you don't like, and you go to a seminar imposed on you by your workplace, you'll probably sit next to that person, even though you don't like them for a couple reasons. But one of those reasons is because you'd rather be with somebody that you're familiar with than be with something you're not familiar with. 
And oftentimes people will stay in relationships that are not necessarily healthy relationships, but they're too scared to go off in the unknown alone. They'd rather be with something that they're familiar with than going into the land of unfamiliar. And when we take this back home into the way we think and keeping an open mind, oftentimes it's easier to think the way we've always thought than it is to allow ourselves to think in that unfamiliar way. So it's very natural for people to hold on to their thought processes and be get polarized to their thought processes. And for me, as a human being, I'm 56 at the date of this. One of my goals is to be an open mind and to be a role model for those that come within my realm of nonstop evolution. I want to evolve myself as much as I can until the day I die. And hopefully that's, you know, a couple hundred years in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you essentially, you know, kind of the evolution pattern, why do you think it is difficult for someone to evolve out of unhealthy habits or realize that it is time to evolve um, from their current um, kind of stasis or foundation? Great question. Thank you. And for me, it comes down to awareness and human awareness. And oftentimes you'll hear the same preface when I do talks over and over, but it's that we have IQ and we have EQ, emotional quotient, intelligence quotient, and awareness is is more of an all-encompassing intelligence. And I simply say that awareness equals understanding and understanding equals empathy, you know, an emotional understanding. And if you're not aware of what you're up against, like say, for instance, in your example, if you're in the wrong environment, that environment is going to impact you and perhaps in a, disenable you to have the ability to grow beyond that environment. Or if you're not aware of the way the brain is formatted, if you don't understand how the machine, the machine being the human body and the brain, if you don't understand how it works, you don't know what you're up against. And very simply said, if I said to you and the listeners, what is your weakest link in communication? And most people do not have an answer at this precise moment. They're still pondering it, and you don't have to think about it anymore. It's rhetorical. But if you don't know what your weakest link in communication is, you don't even know that it exists. It's not even a possibility for you to fix it or change it because it's not even in your field of consideration. But once you become aware of something without even changing it, without even putting any effort on it, it has an empowering ability on you. It actually starts changing you just with the data. If I could say like to a person, I I have a communication mastery course that I do and that oftentimes people interrupt people, but they don't know that they interrupt. But once they become aware of it, now they can do something about it or one-upping people or the perpetual disagreeer and examples like that. That makes total sense if you think about it in the fact of the awareness of you know your surroundings your condition and your status so to speak is the all-encompassing thing of you know your environment as well and the fact of you know if you're not aware of your weaknesses and that's the weakness itself and then that weakness will uncover other weaknesses and so michael i'm really curious with this um, talk and this notion of, you know, it's very, it comes from your mind first and, you know, your thoughts control your emotions and your emotions control your actions. How would somebody 
um, kind of change the way that they're thinking or, you know, if they know that they are, you know, very unknown averse or scared of the unknown. And so they'd rather be in that relationship or be in that way of thinking or be in that way of those habits that they are, aren't too in love with. How do they start to change that? Another great question. And, and the first one is the willingness to change. First comes awareness and then comes the desire to change. If you're not aware of it, we've already covered that. You can't do anything about it. But then the next one is, do you want to change? Because if you don't want to, the probability is that you won't. And having that ability to decide that I desire something better. I desire something more. And because human beings are a series of habits, most human beings are unconscious. They think they're conscious, but they're not. Their brain is running them and they're not running their brain. And it's like when you brush your teeth, when you pick up the toothbrush, do you think about what hand you pick it up with? Do you think about what side of the mouth you're brushing your teeth with? And no, this is an unconscious activity. And this was designed perhaps 10,000 years ago for survival. In other words, if I had to get some food for the family and I'm trying to catch some fish, I had to be able to do that automatically so I could open up my awareness that no predator took me out. So we can do a lot of activities unconsciously. We can drive our car unconsciously. And what that does is allows the brain to kind of free wheel and keep on going. The saying is, is that the average human brain loses their attention six to 10 times per minute. And go ahead. Yeah. Um, I think it's something you talked about, you touched on real quick before I, I lose that train of thought, um, oddly relevant to what you just said, but the unconscious, you know, doing things unconsciously, I think, um, essentially is these habits that you've built. Right. And I think there's a lot of unconscious habits that people don't notice um, due to the fact that, um, it's never, it's something that's never really stopped them or it's nothing they've, you know, thought about. And it kind of goes back to your previous point about, um, if you are someone who is continuously maybe interrupting or, um, you're in that unhealthy relationship and doing, you know, going through the motions there, I think it goes back to that point of, you know, not essentially having that open mind, because I think a lot of the times once you kind of open that mind, you're more aware of your surroundings and what you're doing and how it affects others. 100, 100%. And once you become aware that you are, in fact, a series of habits that are very, very predictable, now you can do something about them. And what, what I would recommend is you take one small habit. Everything that is big was created from something small. Everything that was created came from inside somebody as an idea before it came outside of them. And what I would do is I would find one small habit in your life and change it. And for me, the simplest one to do it would be to prime yourself positively every morning. When I was young, I made a decision that I wanted to master my emotions. And because I'd see people lose their temper and it wasn't that appealing to me. I wanted to have a, a level of awareness and a, an emotional awareness. And I've been pursuing emotional mastery 
for over 30 years now and hopefully humble. You have to be humble to keep on learning also. A know-it-all doesn't learn as well because their ego is being fed by the fact that they think they know it all. And when I, I recognize that in your life, you're going to get a quantity of existence and there's no, no guarantee on the quantity of when you're going to die and you get a quality of existence. What makes the quality of my existence is my perspective. Now, let's say that I'm a pessimist and I'm a very intelligent pessimist and I'm sold on my pessimistic perspective, but everywhere I look, it's dark and gloomy and cynical and, you know, everything's horrible. But then you have an optimist who's living in the same location as you. The only difference is their perspective and your emotional state is your perspective. They're, they're highly correlated. And if I prime myself positively every morning, it, it's like putting a, a frame, reframe is when it's like a picture frame metaphor and you have a picture, you put a frame on it. Now you put a new frame on it. It looks different. So frame is a metaphor, reframe for perspective. And what I do is I frame my day every day to optimize my day and the direction I want it to be. Otherwise, my perspective is going to be automated. And for the listeners, if I if I suggested to you, if you were open to wanting to make a better life, there's there's lots of, of great books on the miracle morning or the hour of power. Tony Robbins has been teaching it for 30 years, but the importance of positively putting good information in your brain in the morning and the brain, we have different brainwave states. We have a beta brainwave state, which we're in most of the day, then alpha would be a hypnotic state where we learn better. And broke music that has a tempo of 60 beats per minute creates an alpha state. When we watch television, it creates an alpha state. When we're standing in front of a campfire, it creates an alpha state. And right when we wake up and right when we go to bed, we're very naturally in an alpha state. And so you're leveraging this hypnotic state to absorb information at a higher level. And what I've written into Michael Dugan's routines is for the most part, for who knows how many years, I put good information in my brain in the morning and good information in my brain before I go to bed because I want to set the tone for my day and set the tone for my sleep. And oftentimes, I'll, I'll bring it back home here, gentlemen, but if you have 100 negative things that happen to you, in one, I mean 100 positive, highly amazing day that happened to you on a day and, and one very challenging thing before you go to bed, the tendency would be to think about that challenging thing. And that's because the brain's purpose is to keep you alive. The brain's purpose is survival. And it's more important to ponder the negative for the sake of survival, for the sake of getting through it the next day than it is the positive. The positive is beautiful. The positive is wonderful. But the positive isn't what we're considering because I have to go back and face this tyrant tomorrow at work. And the way they spoke to me and those people was was not cool at all. And that would be an example of changing a habit for your listeners if they chose to change and if they wanted to, just to tweak the morning habit and perhaps the evening habit of putting good information into their brain. It will change your entire existence. You want to be as efficient and as effective as you can. And one more simple one is simply said, almost every podcaster has been saying it, but it's been said it was created by Jim Rohn. And not Jim Rohn, the sports announcer, but Jim Rohn, the motivational speaker who's transitioned. He was one of Tony Robbins' mentors, and I've listened to him extensively. Fabulous author, fabulously intelligent information. Some information is timeless. 
Some information is time pertinent. And he says your income is the average of your five closest friends or you become your environment. And if you're in the wrong environment, if you go to the bar, you're going to become the bar. And if you go to the gym, you're going to become the gym. And whoever you hang around, we have something in us called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are designed for survival. They're designed to keep us alive. And my face will mimic your face unconsciously. And if you have a lot of stress written on your face, my face will become stressed unconsciously. It will mirror your face. And that will tell me what you're feeling so I know how I need to react or respond to you for the sake of survival. All human beings have mirror neurons. That's one facet of them, but they also allow us to learn. And when I walk out of this conversation, this podcast with Jordan and Julian today, I will say some things in my next conversation with people that were particular to Jordan or particular to Julian, but I would have never said them unless I had the conversation because my mirror neurons absorb them. And when you hang around successful people or whatever you want to be in life, you go into that environment with people that have achieved it, your mirror neurons very efficiently absorb that information. That is an extraordinary point. And there's so much to digest in everything you've said from almost, uh, a, you know, priming your day in a positive sense in the beginning and then finishing that positive sense at the end is also a very powerful tool. Like you said, as far as our brain and our human body is built and designed, it is to keep us alive. So uh, in, in that day that you had of 100 good things and that one challenging thing, of course you are. And I feel like all of our listeners can go back into an experience that they've had where they have had an amazing day, but at the end of the day, they were just kept up at night or before they went to bed, they were thinking about that one little thing that possibly couldn't have or went a little bit different than they wanted to. And I believe that that is the perfect way to kind of start your day in perspective, because I feel like perspective is one of those things that are a direct correlation, like you said, to the quality of your life. And then just to bring it back to the, you know, to bring all the way forward to what you last said, the basics of, you know, um, your positivity and your like who you are as a person are coming from your environment. And so you you want to be very particular with who you spend your time with, what you spend your time on and what you spend your time working towards as well. So I really liked everything that you just said right there, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. And it's uh, one thing you kind of touched on there, too, um, with, you know, having the, you know, the 100 positive pieces. Do you are you a believer in um, some different speakers and some different sources in, um, you know, people believe in mantras of some sort of, you know, either writing something down every day and reading it or repeating it or, you know, being able to think on it to essentially improve the positivity of your day or work to become the better you and evolve, essentially. Is that something that you have worked on or something you think about? Or is there a different way you go about doing something similar to a mantra? Great question again. And there's in life, there's a gradient. We learn on a gradient. And one of my sayings is the first time is the worst time. And whenever you, you're learning anything new, 
you're going to be bad before you can be medium, medium before good, good before great, great before excellence and mastery. So once again, there's a natural sensation. There's, I believe there's exceptions to every rule, but focusing on the majority makes mathematical sense. And when a person becomes aware, mantras and writing things down would kind of be the beginning of the gradient of empowering yourself. And, and to this day, I still use them, but there's also higher levels as your awareness goes up of ways of changing your life. But say, for instance, have you ever listened to a song and you couldn't get it out of your head because it was a catchy tone? And if you say to yourself over and over again, all the boldness I need is within me now. All the boldness I need is within me now. And you say that mantra perpetually. Well, pretty soon that's going to be written in your brain like the song was. And there's a great book by Nathaniel Brandon called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. And one of the pillars of self-esteem is assertiveness. And a person, self-esteem is how much you like yourself. And a lot of people, their relationship with themselves isn't so strong. And one of the biggest signs of somebody's self-esteem is if they're saying that other people are negative and they're ta constantly talking negative about the environment and people outside of them, there's a fair chance that they don't like themselves because there's a reflective nature of self-esteem. And the more you like yourself, the more you like other people. And the more you like other people, the more they like you. And so when you learn to be assertive, assertive, that that's a person that likes themselves, they're going to be assertive. And that would be boldness. They're going to say what they need to say when they need to say it. A person without self-esteem, they're not going to say what they need to say when they need to say it. And they're not going to do what they need to do when they need to do it. And so when I repeat all the boldness I need is within me now, now that day when that's chiming in my brain, like a song, Coldplay or something, I'm going to be bolder as a result of it. That would be a stage of an affirmation. But writing things down, I wrote down my goals for, gosh, probably almost 10, 15 years. And I have the journals to prove it. I haven't written them down every day. But one thing I wrote down is I am the universe's most effective spellbinding professional speaker, teacher, trainer, coach. I captivate, I motivate, I entertainingly engage and ingrain the highest teachings. Everybody I speak to is empowered to new levels in their lives. And when I went to work, I work in the automobile industry. I went there just for a change. I heard people could do well at it financially, and I did it purely for a change. But now I've been a speaker for this Fortune 300 corporation for over 14,000 hours. And it's very interesting that I had written it down every day for, in journals that, that, amongst other things that I wanted to be as a human being, I absolutely believe in writing things down because... Another pillar of self-esteem is purpose. And if you don't have a purpose, you're like a bottle floating around in the ocean and where you end up is wherever the environment pushes you, the wind and the waves. But when you have a purpose, it's like giving you a motor or a sail and now you have a direction. And a person with a purpose feels more enthusiastic about life. A person without a purpose, they feel more hopeless. They don't know where they're going. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Finding a purpose. And when you start deciding what you want to do with your life and how you want to do it with your life, and then you put the pen to the paper, that's the first way to create something because you're taking it from inside of you, outside of you. Now this goal, I, I've realized it of being a professional speaker from inside of me, and I put it on a piece of paper. So I've created it 
you have to, you know, I've created it. It's on a piece of paper and I say it in the I am presence, but what you want to add into it is the emotion. Every human body is a tuning device. And I would say every human being has a vibe. We've all met the person that has, a, a, they're in a lot of emotional pain. So they have a vibe. We've heard some slang terms, resting bitch face, resting dick face. And this is a person who's probably been on a lot of pain their entire life. And they just act out because they never learned how to release that pain. But when you have that ability to, to understand that, you don't judge them. You just understand they are. Everybody has a vibe and a frequency. And I would say that everybody has a baseline, a baseline. Everything in the universe cycles. There's ups and there's downs. The planet, the galaxy, the universe, you. You have ups and downs. But if we add up all your ups and downs, we're going to find a medium, and that would be your baseline. And if for me, if your baseline doesn't change, you haven't really changed. You might have put on a new metaphoric shirt or new metaphoric hairstyle. You might look a little different, but you're really the same person inside. And a person that truly desires to evolve is going to be changing their baseline. And affirmations is a good way to start, and so is writing things down. That's that's a very good point, Michael. And the fact of um, I, I was really, you know, talking or listening to you talk, I, you know, thought of things that I do myself. And so um, just to share with, you know, listeners and you guys, one of the things that I did before coming over to, you know, the UK and um, being in a totally different environment, experiencing new different things is that there's certain things. And one of those things that I do on a daily basis is um I have a mantra that I, you know, have to, I like say to myself and I have a reminder even in my phone where every single day uh, it's an app called Todoist. It says, you know, Jordan, remind yourself that you're, you know, powerful, loved and loving. And so the way I, you know, think about that is that I emotionally put myself, you know, I'm a powerful person, you know, whatever environment or whatever circumstance I am, I will be OK. I'll be able to handle myself. I'll, I'll be able to adapt to any situation loved in the people, you know, that love me. And I feel like I am not like, you know, alone and then loving in the fact that I, you know, emit a loving energy out into, you know, whoever I come in contact with. And it, you know, just almost reaffirms that powerful feeling that, you know, I start with. And another thing that I feel like, you know, studying some of the greats, and I think one thing that you slightly touched on, and tell me if um, this is something you believe in too, is um, a lot of the people that are extraordinary at what they do, like top 1%, top 5%, they have an extraordinary gift of visualization. And when they say, like when you said, I'm going to be the best, most captivating, mo motivational speaker, you put yourself into that emotional state. What does it feel like to be the best, world's best motivational speaker? What are you looking at right now as the world's best motivational speaker? What does it smell like in the room? You know, is it cold? Is it warm? Um, things like that are what you think about to just get yourself into that state of, you know, you are fully embodying that thing that you are striving and aspiring to be. A fabulous. And just a, a quick, when you were talking about I am powerful, loved and loving, I, I got goosebumps to a small degree. And I just want to give a shout out to both Jordan and Julian and what amazing human beings you are. And thank you for being you. And thank you for being the future of this planet. And it gives me hope. <laughs> I think it's funny. And it's like, <laughs> I think it's funny. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm an older dog that's with you. But ultimately in visualization, it's a, uh, it's a skill. 
in any skill you can get better at. And I was a two-time bodybuilding champion. I had won Mr. Alaska in 1998 and 1999. And I'm not a very big man, but I had a more disciplined mind. I did it without steroids. I won the entire show, not just my weight class, no steroids. And I had the honor, it's just a, a page of my book or a chapter of my book, that portion of my life. But back when I used to lift weights, I had read something that said, visualize yourself bench pressing each set before you do it. So I put it into action. And when I did, I noticed that I would see myself lay down on the bench and I would see myself unrack the bar and then I'd lower it and then I'd push it up. And then the next time I'd do it and it was still pretty easy, but then it'd get harder. And I noticed that it required a lot of effort and it was not easy to do, but, but I did it. Now, when I was very young, in my early 20s, I read a book called Psycho-Cybernetics by a man named Maxwell Maltz, and he's, uh, he coined or cited a study about three groups of basketball players, and one group of basketball players shot free throws on the court for two hours a day for two weeks. They had a control study that didn't do anything, and a group that did it in their mind. And the group that did it in their mind at the end of the two-week study did better than the ones that did it on the course. Now, let's go back up into more contemporary day and age. They can have somebody play the piano for four hours a day, and they can have somebody practice playing the piano for four hours a day, and the person that practices does better than the person that does it in reality, practices in their mind, does better than the person that practices in reality. But they can also have you do a finger exercise in your mind. So right now, while I'm talking, I'm doing finger push-ups. <laughs> and, and so so ultimately, it's like um, the person that they found that the actual, the, the finger would get more muscular from just doing it in the mind. And the classic saying is from, from the, the timeless, like Napoleon Hill or, you know, is that the human brain does not know the difference from something you see, something you remember, and something you imagine. And if you imagine something enough, it will know it to be true. Now, one other saying that's related to this, if you can conceive it, that's you bring it in the conception of your thought field, you can conceive it and believe it. You can achieve it. Now, when we go back to writing down, I am, I didn't write I'm going to be because that's putting it off in the future. I wrote I am right now. And now I have to feel, what does it feel like to be the best speaker in the universe? And that was my ego. So that I, I wrote that down 20 years ago. Right now, I just want to be the best I can be. But But 20 years ago, I wrote that down every day for 10 years. And what does it feel like to be something that you've never been? What is that going to emotionally feel like? What is it going to feel like to be a billionaire? What, what, what's that going to feel like? And, and what you're doing your best is to feel something that you don't have a clue of what that feels like. And that's where you're going to go to the role modeling, success leaves clues, learn from the best, leave the rest. And you're going to start listening to podcasts with billionaires. Today, you can listen to billionaires. And the beautiful thing about it is a one-sided conversation because you don't get to say anything. You have to listen. And what I would do is I would immerse myself in the best billionaires. I, do I want to be like a criminal billionaire or do I want to be like a benevolent billionaire? I personally want to be like a benevolent billionaire. I don't think there's anything wrong with the criminal billionaire. It's just not my path.
I'm the opposite path. I'm the, I'm the path of uh, positivity on a world that I think is, is pretty negative at the moment. There's, there's some challenges occurring on the planet Earth right now, if you haven't noticed. So right now, it's time. I, I'm, I'm the warrior badass dude. I coined an acronym, BAM. BAM! For badass moments. And, and what I hope to do is inspire the badass in human beings or the warrior in human beings that desire to be the, the antonym to the collective negativity and have the ability to lift up just as I am a powerful, loved, and loving being. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Goosebumps. Yeah, crazy. Um, crazy what you're touched on there. And I think the one thing I really connected with was the power of the human mind or the human brain. And essentially, you know, the human mind and human brain can go thousands of millions of miles an hour and you can get caught up on a ton of things. But being able to understand and use the your mind to um, visualize and believe to achieve um, essentially gives, I think to me in my personal experience, it's given me ideas to think about. So when I'm visualizing and believing to achieve, it gives me, you know, a way to work backwards and way to work to get there and essentially understanding, you know, the two forces playing against me in those roles. And I know Michael, you and I kind of talked about a little bit before um, is having, you know, kind of the forces of, you know, the creativity and the, the chaos and the way I look at it is peacetime and wartime. And essentially like you have to be under being able to understand that you can't be too lenient to one side and you can't be too lenient to the other side. You have to find out that balance and how they work on each other to further develop your path. And that's kind of the thing I found in believing to achieving and just kind of visualizing is understanding that I can't just, you know, make all left turns to get to this decision. I can't make all right turns. I have to find that combination to get through the maze to get to where I want to be and, you know, balance those forces. Yes, Julian. I mean, 100%. It's, and, and once again, audience, it's the open mind thing. But for me, you, you don't want to know one side of the coin. You want to know both sides of the coin. And you understand that if I look at myself, I have positive and negative in me. And there's a saying, the saying is, is what you resist persists. Oftentimes when people speak, they want to give everybody one facet of themselves, but they don't want to let people, more, more today people are, are letting people see their life challenges, but that's what makes you more believable and more relatable is when you share who the totality of who you are and then embrace it. And I have, I have attributes within me that are not what I want to be as a human being, but they're part of me and I accept them. And when you accept them, you're integrated human being. But if you don't accept them and you resist them, they're constantly gnawing in the background of your, of your babbling brain, of your psychology, poking themselves out in your life in weird ways. So even though it's counterintuitive to accept the negative aspects of yourself, what it does is it integrates you. And in the integration is an empowering feeling that we have inside. Going back to the war in the peacetime, if you just or the left turns, if you just go to one side, you're not fully integrated. The creation happens in the third. And a simple way of saying it is that creation happens in the third. And if I look at my mother's DNA and my father's DNA, and that makes my DNA, or I look at, say, for instance, a person that's immersed in a culture, we'll say Belgium, but then they move to LA for 10 years. Now that are not entirely from the Belgium culture or not entirely from the West Coast culture, they're a mixture of the third. And whenever you allow 
new information to come into you, it creates another third. And creation happens in that middle point in between those two things. As those two things come together, that's where the new creation and the evolution occurs. Oh, that is a very nuanced idea of how basically, you know, you evolve and you create different ideas and, um, you know, accept the qualities of your life. And one thing that I wanted to talk about, Michael, that you mentioned in your The Lock and the Key, if you don't mind me uh, like talking about this, is that uh, when you came to basically when you said that your mind is extraordinarily powerful and you can visualize things and, and whatever you believe or, you know, conceive or think of in your mind is just as powerful of, as what's happened or what you see. And so one thing that really stuck out to me that I will take for probably the rest of my life definitely is that, um, you know, when it comes to past experiences that you mentioned um, in that uh, program, you can revisit them and, you know, take the better route. Let's say that you didn't have um, you know, the best experience when you were eight or something. And then you go back to that and then you write it as yourself now. And it's, I mean, it seems extraordinarily powerful. And I would love for you to talk about just a little bit about that um, to the listeners. Yeah, thank you so much, Jordan. And 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 we're talking about the rewrite. And, and the rewrite is something I learned from a man named Eric Pepin. And he had written a book called The Handbook of the Navigator. And, and doing my best. I'm a mixture of a lot of ideas, everybody. And some of them are unique to me, thirds, and some of them I come from other places. So I have to give, it's not me, it's just everything I've assimilated for not being a nonstop learner. But in the rewrite, I, I, I actually spell it instead of R-E-W-R-I-T-E, I spell it R-E-R-I-G-H-T, rewrite. So it's a play on words. And I give an example when I get off the bus when I'm a kid and somebody hits me on the top of my head with a book and, and this is a true story and the brain's purpose is, do you, do you remember audience? It, it's survival. So as a little boy, I turn and I look and I see this kid and he's quite delighted with what he had done. And now I'm afraid of big kids as a result of it. And so I have a little emotional scar, something I might call a train wreck or some people might say tattooed in your brain. And now I'm on high alert for the rest of my life for people that are older than me. And I probably, oftentimes when you have a life challenge, if somebody does something that breaks one of your rules of reality, something that you learned in your life that's not acceptable, oftentimes we'll think about it again and we'll think about it again and think about it again. Say somebody flips you off in a very rude way. You're kind to somebody and just you see their face is just furious and they flip you off. There's a fair chance as you walk away, you'll replay it. 15 times unconsciously without even knowing it within the next five minutes. You'll just think about it again and again and again. And so what we're doing is we're etching it into the neural networking of our brain, but you can rewrite it. So say, for instance, I'm driving down the road. I'm a little bit unaware. Say I'm eating a cheeseburger, texting on my phone. <laughs> and uh, I'd be a cheeseburger without a bun, by the way. And so anyway, and so, and then I'm, I'm texting on my phone and, and I, I drift into the lane and some guy just rightly so is furious and flips me off. What I'll do is I'll very quickly rewrite it and I'll see his face soft and smile and go, no, that's okay, man. I understand. I, I ate a cheeseburger earlier. Oh no, that's okay, man. I understand. Oh, that's okay. So what I'm doing is I'm manipulating my brain so that 
I I don't etch it into my brain. The saying is, is catch it before you etch it. You want to catch things before you etch it. Now, some people say, well, my past is sacred. My past is my past is my past. Why would I why would I change my past? And that would be the same thing that we talked about earlier in the podcast where we're attached to something and we're not willing to change it. There's an infinite amount of perspectives, everybody, and infinite. Now, what's the number, everybody? And you don't have to say it. I'm just trying to keep you engaged infinite amount of perspectives. But human perspective is typically singular. It's typically singular. And when you attach one perspective to any experience, you only collect a certain amount of wisdom. But if I look at it from another perspective, now I have more wisdom. I look at it from another perspective, now I have more wisdom. And the more ways you look at things, the more wisdom you gain from each experience. So the more aware you become, the more perspectives you can put on things, looking at the war and the peacetime, higher perspective, instead of just being on one side, polarized to your one side. And and now back to the rewrite, when you're not when you're willing to play with it, let me give you one more excerpt on this one. Science has proven that pretty much all of our memories are erroneous. They're all in error. None of them are accurate and they're moldable. I have a memory of something, and then my brother shares his memory of the same experience. Next time I retell the story, I incorporate a little bit of my brother's perspective into my new memory. So our memories are constantly morphing. The bigger fish story, we've all heard that metaphor, that it gets bigger, better each time, embellish it. And, And that's very natural. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's the case, why don't we use our own awareness and our own director, and why don't we take some of these challenging experiences from our past and rewrite them? So what I would do is I would see myself getting off the bus. I would feel my spider senses. That's right, listener, spider senses tingling. And I'd turn and I'd see the book in the air. I'd put it on his chest, and I'd say, not with me, you don't. And I'd walk away, and I'd feel empowered. That would be the rewrite. Well, I rewrote it once but I probably etched it into my brain a thousand times. So the thousand times is going to be more powerful. But if I rewrite it again and rewrite it again and rewrite it again and rewrite it again, so it's more equaled out. Well, now my brain's not going to know the difference from those two occurrences. It's not going to know the difference. And what it's going to do is going to allow me to go beyond that trigger. It's going to allow me not to have this triggered response. Now, the next time I see a big kid, metaphorically, I'll just smile and I'll think about the trigger when I was a kid, as opposed to reactively being afraid of them. Okay. Um, And essentially, I guess my question from there is, do you find it positive to rewrite these experiences? Some of kind of like a lot of, you know, essentially people have um, some pretty strong experiences that have were had extreme learning moments and kind of shape them into what they are today, do you think it's positive to rewrite those? Or do you think there's another outlook on essentially looking at these memories? Personally, and let me preface this, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'd written a book recently, though, this is my my pumping myself up, that I had a, a lady that has a master's degree in psychiatry, and everything she said in the book, her only her only constructive criticism on the book was that it's polarized to people going through painful breakups is that everybody needs to read this book. So what she's saying with her credentials as a master's degree and doctorates that everything I'm saying is sound, but I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a counselor. Back to your question. I think that it's positive because what you're doing is you're, you're creating, it's almost, even if the perspectives, you take the perspectives and whatever they meant to you out of the equation, what you're doing is you're teaching your brain a skill of flexibility, 
a more rigid brain doesn't learn as well and a more flexible brain does. So for me, nothing sacred in my past. I am going to go through and play with different perspectives and I'm going to utilize different perspectives in different ways, almost like the Tim Ferriss experiment, like I'm a Tim Ferriss experiment, experimenting on myself to get the desired results. For me, uh, there's, I think it's all good because you're going to always, what happens is sometimes in life we have emotional pain and the emotional pain is limiting us today. And there's an acronym that I created called ART, ART, is, and it's for the art of breaking up. And ART stands for accept, release, transform. And you have to accept something before you can release it. If you don't accept it, you can't release it. I had somebody that lost this dog of mine. It was a giant Malamute. And my friend says to me, he was a student of mine, he was watching it. He said, Michael, you're going to have to accept that. I learned that from you. And I said, no, you don't just lose your kid and accept it. You don't just lose your wallet and accept it. You look for it first. Oftentimes in life, when we go through a breakup, we don't accept it. And we can't release it until you accept something. And there's this the story of the psychiatrist that's talking to this woman that says, are you angry at your husband? And the husband says, Yes, I am. And she says, do you want to let go of it? And she goes, well, yeah, I'd like to let go of this anger. And then he says to her, are you willing to let go of it? And she says, nah, I want to stay angry. And so anyway, <laughs> and so it's like, and so sometimes people, um, their identity, these experiences, oftentimes when people have a life challenge, it allows them to have a victim identity. And they don't want to let go of that victim identity. They'd rather because so much of their psychology is revolved around this identity of being this victim when this one big thing happened to me. They kind of make it sacred, like they don't want to change it because they don't understand that they're letting go of a portion of themselves. But you have to learn to let go in life because when you die, you have to let go of everything. And a lot of life is letting go. And I teach my little daughter, everything you love will bring you pain. Everything you love, eventually you will have to let go of it. Even if you find the love of your life and it is the most marvelous love in recorded human history, one of you will die first. And at that moment, it's going to be painful. And, and everything that you love, you, there's going to be a letting go process. And most people don't understand this. They don't master the skill of letting go. Recently, I listened to a book, fabulous book by, I, I can't pronounce her name, but it's like Maria Cocho called The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up. And it's all about letting go of clothing that you don't wear, letting go of books that are just sitting there, letting go of paperwork that you're holding on, and the purity of keeping your brain light. There's a saying where attention goes, energy flows, or I say everything that you own also owns you. So if you want to own the sacred, challenging life experience, and you want to keep this little victim identity, well, that's your choice. But that's not my choice. Wow, that's that's super powerful in the aspect of um, I. So recently, that's something I could definitely relate to at the tail end. What you said is basically the things that you own, own you. And it seems like almost such a cathartic experience getting rid of old things that you mentally aren't ready to get rid of, possibly, but physically you aren't using them anymore. And, you know, once you do kind of get rid of that, it kind of um, ushers in kind of a new experience or almost a transitive moment of, you know, you're progressing in your life and you're moving on to do different things and, you know, you're evolving as well. So I really appreciate that. And 
Michael, you mentioned your, you know, the book that you have about the, uh, the, you know, the art of the breaking up or the best breakup, as I believe it's coined. And so what is something that, you know, if our listeners were curious about this book, what is something that you could tell them about it and um, what they would expect out of reading your book? Yes. And well, you've now had a chance to thin slice me. So bottom line, you like me, you neutral me or you don't like me. If you don't like me, you're probably not listening anymore. <laughs> um, but but ultimately, you have an idea of what's in the book. But this is what you can expect from the book. You can expect that you will be empowered with new levels of, of perspective and awareness that will help you. In life, there's something called the train wreck. And I learned it from a gentleman probably 20 years ago. And sometimes people can only keep somebody's name for about 20 seconds but that now they put their attention on remembering people's names and they keep it 20 minutes. But if you're driving down the road and the back of your car gets hit by a train, you'll remember it forever. And the brain will record intense traumatic experiences more powerfully than positive experiences for the sake of survival. And when people are going through a breakup, they're in emotional pain. Going back to the saying I said earlier, life will keep on giving you lessons until you learn them. And if you don't learn them, life will keep on giving you the same lesson until you do. Well, what that saying is saying is that people won't, they're going to have the same sort of patterns unless they change. And most people don't change until it's so painful that the pain drives them to new action. And when people are going through a breakup, what happens is they're in emotional pain. So they're more open than they would normally be because they want out of this emotional pain. And oftentimes younger people, the first breakup, is harder. Earlier, I said the first time is the worst time. Or whenever we learn something new, there's a period of frustration, that gradient. And when a person's going through their first big heartbreak in life, they don't have anything to compare it with. They've never survived it before. And so what this is going to do is give you some very real life skills and tools that are going to allow you to move through this breakup to make it easier and better. But as you, you gave me the greatest compliment when you said you'll probably remember this for the rest of your life, Jordan. And that, that I mean, for me, I say, ultimately, I, I hope to inspire the badass in human beings. And if you want to give me a, a compliment as a human being, just use something I said in your life. And hopefully it helps you. Hopefully it helps you. That'd be the, the greatest, greatest compliment I could ever receive, because my hope is to help people. That's, that's my desire. That's why Michael Dugan exists is I look at myself like I'm a communication device to help empower human beings. And in the book, in life, we all have challenges. And what makes confidence is the knowledge that you can face challenges. You have the ability to know that I have everything within me to face this. And I was talking to Julian about the, this book called The Tools and coming alive by these two authors that are fabulous, Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels. And they, in life, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. There's always one step back. You're never going to not have challenges in life. And you want to get good at them. Whenever you have a life challenge, and if you're in a one step back, right now is time to bring it on. Right now is time to bring the warrior spirit out. Right now is time to bring the badass out and do everything you can within this life challenge. And the diamonds that you will garner in that life challenge 
when you're going on the two steps forward are going to empower you. Now, the next time you have another one step back, another life challenge, you have all those tools that you have tattooed into your brain for this next challenge. And and this is what this book is going to help you do. It's going to help you understand what to do when you have the one step back, when you have the life challenge. It's going to help you understand with awareness what's going on with your own psychology and what's going on with the psychology of the people around you. Yeah, super powerful right there. And I think, you know, you've really captivated me as a listener. Jordan's picked up some gems. I think, you know, it's great for our audience to have heard, you know, how to open the mind and evolve and face challenges and visualize and, you know, work on your pillars of self-esteem and just be able to, you know, understand and have those bam moments in your life to progress to what you want to be and not put it, not say I'm going, but say I am and not put something off. And being able to understand, you know, the betterment of your life and, you know, how, you know, you, you're cognizant and understanding um, the motions affecting you. And I think that's just been a huge key for our listeners today. And I, I'm really thankful to have you on I'm here. honored. I, I'm so appreciative. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Jordan, both of you for just the opportunity to know you and the opportunity to communicate to some people that I don't know. Thank you, listeners, for listening and my biggest message is that the world needs you. Wow. Wow. The, the Well, thank you very much, Michael. I mean, this has been a pleasure. Uh, equally, I have been absolutely captivated by you. And just to show my appreciation one last time, uh, if you want to take a quick few seconds to let these listeners that have lasted the test of time with this hour-long podcast special, um, where they can find out more about Michael Dugan and what you're about, um, take that opportunity right now. Yes. In, in the show notes, there is a, 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 a bit.ly link that says the lock, the key, and you can get a free download to the lock, the key. And I'm very, very proud of this. It's like I had a savant musician put the music in the back of it. And the messages are going to be of what you've heard today and the power of repetition. And then the best breakup of your life is going to be on Kindle first, Audible second, and then Create Space. I'm going to self-publish it. It will be up within the next three months. It's, it's almost there to be up. And if you'd like to have that book, you could check it out. <clears throat> I have the best breakup of your life.com for people going through breakups. I also have a course called Communication Mastery, teaching people how to communicate. And my hope and myself is to contribute positively to you and the people around you. And there's a couple of places where you could find me right there. You could also find me at Michael Timothy Dugan on Facebook or the best breakup of your life on Facebook. And I hope to meet you someday in person. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. It's been an extreme pleasure. Um, listeners, we really hope you pick something up here because there, I, I feel like every 30 seconds, there's something new to learn and some way to open your mind. Um, and essentially, you know, we're on 12 platforms, you guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I hope you share this and, you know, get Michael's message out there and share with people, you know, maybe some people, you know, need to open their mind or some people, you know, need to find that way to have a positive impact and, you know, make those changes. Or maybe, you know, someone who's just gone through a tough breakup. Um, there's some real good keys in here and just, 
you know, we really appreciate you for listening and hope and hope that you share Michael's message. And guys, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, allowing us to do this. And we, you know, appreciate you. And, you know, you guys are our driving force. So, you know, next time on the podcast. So can't wait to see you then. Peace. 